the Rage with John Bowd on www.tracksfm.org. Welcome. We're fashionably late because there was so much happening this week. I can't go into detail, um, but I'm finally catching up with everything, kind of. Um, I'll catch up with the rest of it tomorrow. Um, welcome to John Bowd's All the Rage. Um, there's so much happening, as I said in the world today I was elsewhere for a couple of days and it was filtering through but I met, met some great people met a great person who I'll get in touch with over the week but this week we're talking about the 5-0 as we say where I'm from 5-0 Radix um, and they're up to their little games again um, um, and where I grew up um, I'm telling you now it, although things on paper may look that they've changed um I can guarantee you it, it hasn't changed, um, especially if you're certain minority or ethnic or minority groups in this country on how um, um, well, a lot of it is institutionalised. And I don't know when it's going to change or if it's going to change. Um, yeah, um, I had personal experience of it last year when I was on a picket line and... Um, one of the police, we were on the picket line, the police um, was next door and um, they stopped the car and one of them jumped out and just went straight for the for the guy with the beard, you know what I'm saying? And she said, did you say something to me, you know? And was really aggressive, you know, and her partner, a fellow was telling her, leave, get back in the car and shouting out to get back in the car, but she went straight for straight for one of the picket line attendees probably because he looked like someone if you get what i'm saying i, I know you well you, if you know what where i'm from you know what i'm talking about and she just went straight for this guy um and i, I had to calm it down and her partner was calming it down told her to leave it um and i think she would have nicked him i think she would have nicked him if he weren't there um but we're going to get more into detail about the 5-0 john we are indeed. We're going to do one of our... Um, what we're going to cover this week is what we call our counter-surveillance guide, protesting in the age of surveillance. We can talk about protests. This is going to be like part of, a, I suppose, a semi-series of useful... bits of useful information of getting by in daily life when you're, you know, a working-class activist or just generally a, a person who's, who's switched on and wants to change things. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking we should probably have a we should get a new jingle, Dave. Which is like I don't know, it says like public service broadcast from all the rage or something like that. We'll talk about that later. We can we can have some fun with that. Before we jump into that, I just want to say one thing before we go into the main body of this evening's show. Uh, before we begin, I just wanted to address the response we have seen to the ICJ verdict on Israel last week on the plausibility of them committing genocide in Gaza and the utterly repulsive response we've seen from politicians around the world, not least from America and here in Britain. Since then, we have seen life-saving aid cut again to the UNRA, the largest aid organisation operating in Gaza, amid a smear campaign, plus another Labour MP sanction for pointing out the truth of the Gaza genocide. This situation exists because of Britain and their actions. The Balfour Declaration begun this woeful period of disaster for the Palestinian people, and we continue to make their lives worse and shorter. 
The far right in Israel, which has become more centrist in recent times, as they always do, is very open about their plans to settle Gaza, despite mass murdering the population or just driving them into the desert. Calling it a part of their holy land and therefore making the expulsion, the starvation, the murder of Palestinian inhabitants justified as far as they're concerned. Our politicians, meanwhile, fall over themselves to convince you that that is not what was just said by the person you just heard say it. For anyone playing the game of ignorance regarding international affairs, if you think the situation has nothing to do with this country, then you should be advocating for Britain to stop supplying Israel with weapons that it uses to kill Palestinians. This country's government should immediately apply sanctions to Israel, refusing to handle any of their banking for a start, so it won't be laundering any of their money through the city of London, which is the only thing it's any good for. Then we really would have nothing to do with the situation and you could gain some degree of the isolation that you claim you want so badly. And I know some people will talk about weapons and say, well, when we sell them to there or any other part of the world, that's selling, that's a contract. Yeah, that gives you a responsibility. You don't just get to sell something and then absolve yourself of responsibility. You flog something on eBay and it doesn't work. The, the person uh, you've sold it to comes back to you and you have to provide a refund or take the item back, etc., etc. Well, you don't get to sell artillery weaponry and weapons of mass killing and then say okay well the result of what goes on with them is nothing to do with me i fail to see how anything you could be proud of right now in living in this country presently supporting a neo-fascist apartheid state full of psychotic child murderers as is israel uh p.s there is no reason not to compare the holocaust to what is happening to what is happening in gaza right now in fact it tells you all you need to know that the jewish labor movement raised a problem with kate osmore mp comparing this it wasn't rwanda or kosovo that she also talked about in a statement that got them kicking off it was gaza and it was gaza because they're a bunch of genocidal racists in the jewish labor movement because they're a bunch of zionists it's plain and simple they are comparable because they are the same the Holocaust. There's even being uh, they are even being treated the same by the people in power and the legacy media. So don't fall for that one. Okay, as I said, whenever we can on all the rage, we like to provide you with all the useful information, mainly on how to avoid the obvious downfalls of the modern world. Surveillance of all types is one such problem. As states crack down on any of us daring to imagine a better world and the shithouse that we have vomited towards us after feasting by those who have feasted upon everything and demanding that we be thankful for what little they give us back. The right to protest is under threat like never before as the corruption of our system gets worse while the climate degrades to the point of threatening survival and while rogue states carry on mass slaughter. Not to mention all the workers' rights we seem to have to fight harder for every day, stopping their erosion more than actually progressing. Police now use more invasive tools at demonstrations in their attempt, in line with their desires of the British government, to erode our right to protest entirely. Thanks to the good people at New Internationalist magazine, we can now bring you a helpful guide to avoiding such surveillance while exercising your right to protest. Yes, as ever, somebody's written it in a magazine, I've cut and pasted it, and then attached something of my viewpoints on it to the beginning and to the end of this particular feature, and pretending that I've actually created something. Well, people have done worse. While it cannot be guaranteed that you can be fully protected from surveillance threats, you can reduce them with some of the stuff we're going to talk about this week. So the state can now identify, track and monitor protesters. Uh, they watch how we move. They can even take, uh, they can even hack into our phones. And when I say they watch how we move, I'm being literal. Even without any physical access to phones, police can intercept calls and messages using a stingray or what is also known as an International Mobile Subscriber Identity, that's IMSI, uh, a catcher. 
of that particular type. So IMSI is what I'll refer to it as from the rest of the show. So you know, you know what that is. What these do is they mimic a mobile phone tower. So mobile phones are tricked into connecting to them. Police can then identify all phones in the area, block them if they want, edit text messages, or just monitor everything going through them. Authorities are eager to identify protesters and often label them if they have done anything illegal or otherwise. Most of the time, it's perfectly possible just to do everything legal, but they'll still label you and try and fuck with your life. It's a little bit of an example, as Dave was talking about at the top of the show. We now have technology that is designed to monitor our every move, from drones to recognition technologies, and we need to resist them whenever possible. This includes military-grade drones remote-controlled to track movements, but they can also be linked with facial recognition technology. Facial recognition technology, FRT, operates through cameras that can take pictures and videos that are used to identify protesters in both real-time and later on, allowing authorities to produce a watch list or other such tools. Then there is gate recognition technology used to identify an individual based on their body shape or the unique way that they walk or run. Not, uh, note that this can also be used on images and video uploaded onto social media. It should be noted that these tools of identification are often used in secret without transparency or regulation. So those giving it the if you have nothing to hide argument will not even be honest about what they are doing also for fear that they are breaking the law or our individual rights. Well, if I've got nothing to hide, then what have you got to hide? It's about time you were honest, Metropolitan Police and, and other forces. Also, remember police use cameras on their uniforms and never talk to police, especially the blue bibs here in the UK. That's the number one rule, really, as they are just data gatherers who will finger you for being scooped up and questioned. If you are questioned, remember to ask why you are being questioned, note the officer's badge number, and remember you do not have to give them your name, at least when you are not under arrest. You can be questioned and you can be searched and you do not have to speak to the police. As long as you don't stand in the way of them doing their actual proper job, uh, which does not include, you don't, as I said, you don't have to talk to them, you don't have to give them your name, anything like that, that doesn't stand in the way of them doing their job and they have no right to ask you for it. And they know that too. Any of them that feign ignorance about this are liars. If you are nicked, the police will no, about, no doubt try to get into your phone too. Once they have access to this, they can extract information, including names, numbers, messages, photos, and videos. So going forward, we're going to talk about how to protect yourself. Well, firstly, we'll talk about protecting your devices. One of the biggest problems with modern mobile phones is that they are constantly full of your personal data. Quite frankly, folks, you put too much stuff in there, right? Cut it out. This can be picked up while you are out in the streets. So if you simply cannot do without a phone, consider removing any material that you would not want the police seeing. Otherwise, if you can leave uh, the phone at home, then leave it at home. At the protest or the event, you can turn on the aeroplane mode, which prevents it being picked up by IMSI catchers. You can still see your location on the map if you download organic maps. This uh, you can see without internet connection once you you have it on your phone. So it just it works on the phone itself. It doesn't need the uh, doesn't need the data connection or whatever you call it. I don't have a smartphone, so pardon me if I say anything that's that's clearly obviously ignorant about this. That's that's just me not knowing uh, what it is that you kids do with your playthings these days. Watching. You know, Israeli soldiers committing war crimes on TikTok seems to be quite a popular activity these days. Uh, turn off any of the facial or fingerprint keys. Ensure your phone 
is locked and needs a pin to access. You can still take photos and film when it is in this mode. Check out the Faraday cage too. This is a device that blocks entry or escapes uh, or escape of electromagnetic fields. And it also prevents phones, again, from being picked up by IMSI. Now, um, you can find some stuff. Or maybe I'll go into this again in a minute. But you, I, I've got some of those cards that you slip your your banking cards and whatnot into so they can't be scanned as you walk along the street. It's just in your wallet. It means that nothing can sort of pick them up and steal your details. You can get bags that do the similar kind of thing. Actually, I think they're actually called a Faraday bag. I was, I was looking into these a little bit during the week. I was just, uh, you know, going on eBay or whatever and looking up. They do bags for your car keys. If you've got one of those ones where you obviously you press the button and it, it clicks the, uh, the, the door open, etc. And you can put your cards in these things, you know, all that kind of stuff, anything that you want to protect. Up-to-date security downloads are also a must. You can download end-to-end -end encrypted apps like Signal if you want to keep in contact. Also, there are, as I said, the sealable bags, uh, which can be bought. Of course, you could also bring an older phone, like a burner that has simple call and text facilities, but keep it basic if communicating on this too, just in case. I'm not actually sure how easily older phones like mine can be picked up on these demos. I normally just uh, keep it keep it safe. And I do. I must say, I do live in a state of, of uh, perpetual paranoia, um, which sometimes helps. It's fucking exhausting, but it does help you to sort of be a little bit careful about what you say and... Uh, the vicinity of certain devices when whenever you are saying these things. Plus, avoid any social media posting where you identify faces or other distinguishing features of your fellow activists when you're out and about doing that. Or generally avoid as much social media as you can. Uh, just bear in mind, everyone can see it. Okay, protecting your anonymity. The obvious stuff here is wearing a mask or a bandana over your face. This message with facial recognition tech, along with obviously making you unable to identify, be identified in the street. Although tech companies are working on being able to see through these things at the moment, they still can't quite do it. You might also step this up to dark monochrome clothing that can help you hide if others do the same in your group. Wearing baggy clothing can also make the gate recognition tech fail, but it is quite sophisticated, so don't bet on this happening. Anyway, that's my excuse for still wearing ridiculously baggy jeans that I used to wear when I was 15. So. It's also the fact that it's due to strange weight fluctuations, <laughs> the bloody jeans still fit me from when I was 15. At least they do this summer. Uh, but lastly, don't forget to bring some good old-fashioned basics that have nothing to do with tech. That is water, food, a hat and or raincoat in case you get held up like the bastards kettle you. Uh, anything of those sort of simple, simplistic type stuff that you need to uh, to keep you keeps you protected and uh, away from the prying powers of the uh, the evil the evil state forces. Uh, and as I say once again, do not talk to the police, any police, the blue bibs included. And if, you see, I'm a very polite person, so if they say hello to me, I just say hello and then I move away very quickly. Um, so you can, or you can nod, uh, you know, that's fine. I, but don't talk. You know what I mean when I say talk to the police? Don't talk to the police. Okay, what more to say except power to the people? Uh, Dave, have you got anything else you want to feed back on, on that particular story? Um, well, I will say this. Um, um, there was a, a, a fictional sort of programme. I forgot the name of it. I watched it religiously. The first two seasons were great on uh, America's uh, intelligence into the Middle East. And um, it was a fictional bit, which I thought was ridiculous, uh, where they would be able to 
take all your messages off off your phone if they're in a certain distance. And I thought, that's a bit fictitious. Um, I won't say who I've spoke to recently from a very high authority. And that's not fictitious. They can do that. They can actually do that. And this is... Um, I, can, I only can speak for the British intelligence. I will tell you this. They can do that. They can just put their phone within six feet of your phone and just download everything. Uh, I'm not sure of the models or how they do it or... Um, but they can do it. And I will say this, that they hacked into our computer when we used to do a big debate with Judge Jim where he was cri very critical of Guantanamo Bay. He did about four shows. Uh, he actually wrote to the President of the United States um, on what's happening with those where they said they were prisoners of war and, and how they were being treated. And someone used to hack into our computer and was able to block Jim's voice out. This is true. I have the recordings of it. It was quite amazing, really. And I had to change my whole everything to Linux, which was very, very powerful, protective, um, because they were able to hack into a Windows computer and just spin back the hard drive whenever he spoke. And that is the gospel truth. Um, so if you may say uh, what you two are talking about, just conspiracy theory doesn't mean we're wrong. Think about that, John. Mm. Absolutely. Just because it sounds conspiratorial doesn't mean that's not a conspiracy again. The, the, the problem with conspiracy and conspiracy theory, they're two, they're two terms that have become interlinked. And not that I'm going to be one of those uh, nerds who says about looking up dictionary definitions or whatever, but then, uh, okay, just look up the practical definition or work it out. Um, states corporations, organizations of different types, state bodies, they can all participate in and create conspiracies. Even if you, I mean, well, well clues, for instance, I mean, listening to this show, right? So you've, uh, you've probably listened over the years and we've had our beloved Latin America co correspondent Francisco on the show, talking about the coup in Bolivia, 2019, talking about previous coups all over that that part of the world that we know about those were conspiracies and they happened and everything that was said about them that was done in secret that was done against the the will of the people and against the democratic desires that was a conspiracy so d don't you know don't get it twisted right John, don't get can it I, mixed up can i ask because it, it, everything you said and it's true what john said is true he's not joking it's not a joke it's not james bond stuff it's real but can i ask you do you think 9-11 gave them the signal to do this stuff, John, under the guise of 9-11. Do you get what I mean? Because people were scared then and everyone wanted to mm. be protected and, you know, America's, oh, I'm on that wall to protect you, that sort of thing in, in regards to Guantanamo Bay. But um, all the atrocities, say, for example, in Guantanamo Bay, do you think that the, the public overall, the global public, all the, oh, who's going to pay yes. for that, that type of public thought, said, well, because of 9-11... We've, we need that. Do you think they just use that as a green light, John? Yes, I think they did. Broadly speaking, I think that's right. Um, yeah, all of, that, all of that standing on a wall to protect you, all of that few good men shit. Yeah, I remember that. Um, no, I, they did. Uh, because, uh, look, the, the Patriot Act came after 9-11. It came in direct response to it. Everyone at the time in government, in, in the US state bodies, and in plenty of bodies over in this country too, 
were saying exactly that. You know, they were they were saying, you know, uh, this changes everything. Um, you know, people's rights, civilian rights, no matter where you are, that's going to have to. I mean, there's certain things are going to have to take uh, a back seat or go by the way. So they're very open about that. I don't, I don't think I don't, I don't even think. I mean, I wouldn't in that sense actually. I don't. Even, I, I wouldn't. I would disagree slightly if we're using the language of conspiracy because I don't think it was conspiracy at all. I think it was incredibly open. Uh, but but yes, I do think that that's that's what it was used for. That's that's. I think that's a, a fact of history. Don't so don't what, listen to my opinion. So having, Go check it out. Having uh, Francisco Dominguez, who is a wonderful a correspondent for Latin America, that that part of the world still stayed covert in regards to American influence, didn't it, John? It, it, that stayed as it was. That was business as usual, wasn't it? And all 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 the retaliation to that was people, the public, kept voting in socialist governments as a as a protest wasn't it i mean but yeah. on that and in the middle east and that they just gave them a license to just start bombing things and creating huge vacuums of power and saying libya what's happened to libya for example i know i'm straying off the subject but i'm saying all this stuff gave them or john's just verified that it gave a green light for them to really let's be honest breach human rights civil civil rights I really believe that. I think it was just a green light, wasn't it, John? No, for sure it is. For sure, um, that, that they have absolutely used that. They they've used nine eleven and any other act of terrorism since then, even before we had terrorist attacks here on on British soil. Uh, you know, they they use that as an excuse to. I mean, another way you you could look at it was uh, let, let's be fair about this, right? So let's take groups of people that I don't like or support. So football hooligans, uh, which usually have far right connections, but you know, there's still an ability to say that if you've been picked up as part of any kind of sweep of football hooliganism, they can stop you travelling to international England games. They could actually put that as, in as a as a right. Now, judge what you think about that law. I think there's there's an interesting discussion to be had there. Because I'm not, I am quite open-minded about that. I'm not wholly against it, but I'm also not wholly for it. I think it's it's something that requires justification, perhaps even continual justification, to say that it's still it's still relevant. One of the things that happened after the terrorist attacks that were you know associated with with the early 2000s, broadly speaking, and the act, acts of terrorism, not including state terrorism, of course, because we never include that. We don't include the state terrorism of Israel because, God, that would make you an anti-Semite. And we don't include the uh, state terrorism of America and Britain, um, even though that was actually what led literally to the blowback of terrorist attacks on British soil. Uh, and we didn't have them from from that uh, contingent of the world beforehand. Anyway, um, you know, we they do need to be reviewed and they do need to be updated but 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 like i said there's nothing conspiratorial about that but but yeah i mean that's you're absolutely correct to point that out as that period of of time has changed things but i don't think it's changed things permanently now in in the case of latin america uh yes it, it is an area of the world that america thinks it has and it has a few other states that do this, but america in particular thinks it has the right to stick its oar in they, you know they call it their backyard in in government in state departments and stuff they think that they can tell the people who live in those countries what they can and can't do. Um, the fact of the matter is, whatever they think, they don't really have the power to do that anymore. So as we speak presently, 
um brazil now has lula back so they're under uh, a left wing leadership it was, it was a bit of a tight contest but nevertheless they're back to having a left wing leadership colombia has left wing leadership which is a first that country is so right wing you know they used to have uh death squads that were like the uh the so government adjacent that i think they called it the black eagle uh, death squads that i believe they they called almost jokingly called them a government body no, they were so adjacent. And they'd run around murdering trade unionists, among other things, but mainly them. That's how against the organizing they were. Uh the the in Bolivia, although Morales never came, never got to come back, uh Bolivia had uh you know a coup that failed. America couldn't even help to carry off a coup, blimey. Imagine suggesting that in the eighties, Dave. You know, you know your history like I do. I remember saying this with with, with um Francisco on the show before. So like, what's going on? America can't even carry out coups anymore. They used to do them by lunchtime, you know. Uh, and and there's broadly speaking, you know, across the the, the area, it's it's a little different now. Um, you know, Ecuador's a little bit up and down. What's going on there? What about Chile? Um, there was something in Chile as well, wasn't it, John? Um, yeah. So Chile is um, what happened there. I've got actually. If you want to, if you want full details of this, go back through the list of these shows. And any time you see Francisco's name in the title, just just pull it up. And there will, by the way, there should hopefully be another one soon. I spoke to him this week, and uh, maybe we'll 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 get together end of this week, next week, or something to have another show. But yeah, what happened in Chile was there was uh, a public what's I suppose public rebellion. It started with students being very very pissed off about how much they're train fare transport fares were costing them and it sort of grew and grew from there to kind of take in you know the 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 kind of the cost of living which is always going to be an issue which is of important to people great importance to people whether they like it or not and most importantly just bear this in mind when you look at your your political leaders or any of their you know the online shenanigans that we're all forced to engage with um everyone's always going to care substantially more about the price of bread than they are about which toilet a trans woman uses so don't fall for any of that culture war crap because that's entirely what it's used for uh, and and god bless her or, or uh, you know maybe that's not the right term solidarity with our trans comrades um, so yeah, that that kind of grew into sort of I suppose a wider social justice movement. Uh, I don't think it was wholly successful. So so yeah, they've got Boric in, who's who's now uh, again a sort of left of I wouldn't say he's entirely left wing, left of center, should we say leftist? Uh, but what they did do is they they tried to repeal the constitution because the constitution they exist under presently in Chile is the last one that was put in by uh, Pinochet. But you know, usual stuff. Uh, media that's you know owned by by billionaires, uh, right wing in nature. Lots of talk about how they were going to. I don't know if you change the constitution, they'll force your dog to have an abortion and all this sort of stuff. And uh, unfortunately, it fell, so it didn't it didn't succeed that time. And it wasn't engaged with as well as it could have been either from the the side that were that were pushing it. But you know, uh, social change is is slow, and it requires a tremendous amount of dedication and grinding hard work as as you know better than most people i know dave you know you you know the steps that one has to go through to gain even the most basic level of of justice and decency even uh, in a workplace never mind in wider society so the only thing i often say this to people i'm not going to offer you a quick and easy way out of any of these things if you take part in this fight it is uh it is long it is painful it is arduous and that's just the good bits it's going to take forever to get done. But as and when we succeed, every single success is just incomparable in its in its joy and wonder 
and glory because there's nothing like having power over your own life. It's not a like-for-like -like comparison, but if I can recommend the poem Roll the Dice by Charles Bukowski, that gives you some indication of what I'm talking about. Uh, what are you willing to give? And, and that will be in reference to what you you gain too. John, can so, I ask, uh, and I know it's, we're, we're going to... I know people could probably listen back to this podcast and look at those two Britain bashing again. But so we, we, we having spoke to and it, uh, great work you did with getting Francisco, and I just think it's so enlightening. So where where those countries said, well, we've had enough and we're going to vote in a, a left of centre government, for example, nothing drastic, but it's just a change. Uh, so um, a lot of people here say to me and John on a regular basis, we should be like France because they got. A a, a kind of right-wing agenda but people protest they take to the streets and fair play and me and john get quoted all the time we should be like france we should be like france we should be like france bear in mind that we've kind of had a, a anti-working class government here for the best part of the 28 years no 38 years um and only a left of center government for 12 years and we always point at france or people say to me and john we should be like france uh but actually me and john should be telling them no we should be like south america <laughs> we should be like south america not taking to the streets changing governments that's much more radical um but maybe it's a british thing john perhaps that we we don't see the wood beyond the trees why protest why don't you just change the government which they regularly do well, yeah the problem is that that's uh that is so this comes from the people who believe in in grown-up politics and sneer at any kind of things like protest. Uh, being bliss, no, not blissfully, intentionally feigning ignorance about how society changes anyway. So you know, and I don't, I, I don't have a. Uh, do you know what? I know you can wade into a little bit of trouble when saying the things I'm about to say, but I don't care. I'm going to say them anyway because you know where I'm. Yeah, you know where I'm coming from on this. So I, I don't need, um, I don't need a black man, Mr. David Lammy, telling me that protest is not the way to change things. When if it wasn't for people protesting in the streets and sometimes even being battered and killed by the police, uh, the police you're always praising, then you would wouldn't actually be sitting in the position that you're sitting in right now. Okay, and equally, you know, I I don't go for I don't go for conservative LGBT people either. Um, I mean, you can have your, you can have the opinions all you want to, but I wouldn't bother wasting a lot of my breath speaking to you, because uh, the very groups of people who want to suppress you, the very groups of people who call you, you know, child fiddlers and all kinds of stuff, that's conservatism, that's right wing politics, uh, and that is, a, of course, a problem with neoliberalism, which is one of the problems with neoliberalism, is it tells you that there's no change to the economic program that can ever be tolerated. It has to be the way it is now. But that's okay because we don't mind uh, the, the gays and the blacks too. That's they're, they're fine so long as they not so not quite so keen on on Muslims, but uh, they don't mind the gays and the blacks uh, so long as they you know and don't mind Jews so long as they're Zionists. Uh, but you know you you can't actually change the system. But it's okay to, you know, as long as you can have a pink pound, just so long as you're promoting the pound. That's all that matters. And I disagree entirely. We need to change the the economic system as it is in in, in every shape and form. Well, maybe not every shape, but you know what I mean. Um, we need. I'm a socialist, folks. Everybody knows that. They are. Go, go and look it up. So um, well, no, yeah, you're a realist I, but, as well, John. 
you don't have to have two. Yeah, and a realist. Yeah, and a realist. Yeah. To be fair, you're quite you're you're quite correct. That is a good way of pointing out. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think that the I, I did, that's something. That's an argument. That's a debate we could have, if you like, about and whether or not I'm in a position to say those things. I must say, I am very uh, sensitive to people, and I, I'm not prissy about this. I really mean this. I'm very sensitive to people's uh, uh, feelings and understanding about things like that. Uh, I do believe in, you know, material, uh, the, the, the Marxist kind of, you know, materialism, uh, that, that kind of analysis is the word I'm looking for. I do believe in that. I do believe that our lives are 100% dominated by our economic position, by our class position, which is basically this, you know, tied to that specifically. Uh, all those kind of stuff. I'm not decrying other people's sense of identity. All I'm saying is I genuinely believe that your identity, whatever part of it, is never as strong as dominating of your life as your class position. And that's why I seek to to rise up the working class and to take power over our own lives, regardless of who you are and your background. Um, I don't stand on a pedestal. Dave is kind enough to talk about, you know, some of the the, the stuff that I do in my spare time, but that's not the point to me. It's not why I do it. I'm not here for for um, woke points or anything else or virtue signaling. Um, so yeah, virtue signaling. A claim that's made by every person I've ever seen wearing a plastic red flower for two weeks a year. And, so, and, yeah, and John um, can quote uh, um, John can quote films as well. Um, um, I can. I'm quite good at quoting. <laughs> Not as good as actually. I, I, I've, actually I've getting, never heard uh, someone talk about a conspiracy theory and mention Jack Nicholson films at the same time. It's amazing stuff. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I'm not actually quite so good at remembering the basics of explaining political theories, as you might be able to tell from the very halting and stuttering last 10 minutes. But uh, if you want a quote from a film that absolutely nobody except me and three blokes on the internet have ever seen, then uh, I'm your man. Yes, if you <laughs> I'm just I was just trying to think of a line from a film no one's ever well, seen. Well, I will say but, this. Uh, I uh, sat in a room in a, in a, a social institution called Hospital this week and it, and the room I sat in which we were waiting for treatment uh, was pretty much a mixed bag of ethnicity including the nurses and doctors uh, which was a mixture of Palestinian, Indian, Afro-Caribbean, Afro-American and I've never heard so much intelligence in all my life on the state of the country. Alright? And there was one well, English yeah, I mean, like... who didn't feel that he was being a minority because he actually agreed he was very intelligent and um um, and it was quite clear from these people who they say that are, are uh, exhausting our resources and not here legally. What a load of crap! Because these four or five people that I sat with while we were waiting for treatment came out with so much good ideas than I've ever heard. No disrespect, than a room full of English people. I do apologise, John, um, because these people are getting attacked as as being sc uh, sponges and things like that, and they weren't sponges, John. There were good people who come out with some good ideas about the hospital but system. This, there's so much that makes me angry about that. I mean, just okay. I'll, let me just let me finish my last point, and then I'll go on to what to pick up on what you said there. Is I'm in there. I'm I'm rolling, rolling with the punches. Um, uh, if, even though I, I've got one more story I'm, I'm going to cover. If that's all right tonight, it's quite sure. I don't. We don't have to. I don't. We don't have to run till half eight. I know we're a bit late, but that's about. I don't care. I don't care about the hour. It's not a big deal. Okay. 
Okay, I will. But uh, just to clarify, so so I do give my comments. I do give my opinion. You know, do I think before we get into long debates about oh well, do do black people and Muslim people and Jewish people and LGBT plus people do they have to be this that the other? Do they have to be some ver- No, I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying there are certain things that don't work for me. So being from any of those minorities and taking a conservative position, I think that's wrong. I think it's factually inaccurate. I think it's a disgrace to uh, the people that you have, um, who have run, well, have walked so that you can run, who have fallen in their fight for equality. And uh, I think it's disgraceful. I'm going to stand by that opinion. I'm not the only person who has that. If you wish to challenge it, I'm happy to take your challenge. Please do. And I'll take a challenge from the right. I'll take a challenge from the centre, especially the centre, because they're the easiest ones to defeat. I can probably make a cup of tea and destroy your argument at the same time. But it's it's fine. I mean, I, but I'm going to put that on the line. I'm not going to lie to people. I don't lie to people. Okay, this is this is my uh, whether you like it or not. This is the characterization that I have, and these are the things that I believe in. So, um, coming to your point, yeah. So this notion of you know too much immigration or affect it as in the NHS. It's it's not just that I don't agree with it, which I don't. And it's not just that the polls on this thing go, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, they go up and down on what the public... Again, it depends what what's the poll, what the questions you're asking, who are you asking. But the fact of the matter is... Oh, and sorry, and other flaws among polls, which is that sometimes when you're taking a poll, you might just tell the person on the other end of the phone or the computer or however it is that you're filling it out, whatever you think they want to hear, mainly to you know get rid of them so you can go back and watch the telly. But, you know, people's everyday experiences of a country with, you know, like a health service which relies on the immigration that comes here to service it, even to the point where, you know, there's a there's a debate there to be having about brain drain and stealing resources from other parts of the world by nicking all of their healthcare stuff, etc. Just so so Britain can continue to have uh, the, the the best in inverted commas. Um, that's not how most people think. I I honestly believe that. You know, I no one. I you wouldn't. I know that a lot of things I I say and think are agreed with by people, but I will never. You will never hear me say I speak for the majority. I don't speak for the majority, and neither does anybody else, because nobody is capable of doing that. Okay, Rishi Sunak doesn't speak for the uh, the, the the majority. Keir Starmer doesn't speak for it. Uh, whoever's presenting. Good Morning Britain or This Morning Right Now doesn't speak for it. Whoever's on Sky News or GB News, no, they don't. They just say their viewpoint, a viewpoint which many, many people agree with. Of course they do, because none of us have wholly original viewpoints most of the time. There will always be people that agree. But again, it's just it's just that complete disconnection. And just coming back to it, I mean, I think it's interesting when people talk about, because people often fall back on the personal experience. I try not to. Because I don't think it actually proves anything, and it's I mean you know, you know I don't think it's controversial to point out it's not very scientific to say well everyone I meet says X Y and Z well that says a lot about the people you hang out with, but but it's you know in my experience I've been the only white geezer in a room on occasion I've never ever felt uncomfortable about it I've never felt strange or alienated it about it. Um, I think we're driving. I drove through Southall once. My dad drove me through Southall when I was about ten or eleven, and I think at that time I was like, "Oh, all these this place looks looks a little strange," you know, because I've never seen shops like this before that sell these these clothes, you know. 
Um, but when we got to the, I think we went to a football ground to watch watch a member of my family play football. By the time you got there, it's like, oh, well, you know, I just got used to it now. It's a different place, isn't it? You know, it's it's not this idea of, of kind of strange new things. Well, you know, just take a minute uh, uh, and and ask yourself ask yourself a question like, you know, if you pass a shop in the street that sells saris, you know, is is that actually a threat to you? Well, I would say. I mean, it sounds ludicrous to say it out loud. Well, take the. It's, like the, the, it's, yeah. it's just ridiculous. So I, I get a, a lot of the indigenous population talk about Brick Lane and how it's changed. Listen, if you're travelling to London and you like Indian food, go to Brick Lane. It is a wonderful yes. cacophony of different tastes, different smells, different shops, wonderful food, vegetarian, meat, chai shops. It is brilliant. You would not. I, I don't recognise it from the brick line I grew up in, but I do think it's, at, um, no disrespect, but I think it's better. I think it's just got a different vibe. And on hospitals, I witnessed two attacks on staff, NHS staff, uh, and they were English people that were attacking the staff. Actually, I tried to help, and the security guard, who was a Somalian bloke, who spoke better English than me, said, excuse me, you're a patient, go and sit down, I'm dealing with this. Uh, because they were attacking these people um, physically and mentally um, and demanding that the mental health people come down to the hospital and change their address, change where they live, and I understand that. Um, and I saw things quite high. And I will say that the, the people that were waiting, who should be at the GP, but their service is terrible in the UK at the moment, the GP service, they're actually using A&E, they're advising, GP services are advising people to go to A&E, they sat there for 12 hours and were very polite and they had young children. Um, so that, that's what I saw and that was a snapshot of one night. So God bless the NHS and don't believe anything you read, otherwise I'll set John Bowd on you. John? Indeed. Indeed. Yes. Send me, send me to where these people are. Okay, so um, just one more article this week I want to talk about. Uh, I, I do need to say something uh, from weeks ago, well, actually months ago, that the TUC released a bit of a report about um, a lack of progress in disabled workers' rights. But I bumped that from last week, and I'm sorry I'm going to bump it from this week too, cause just because the next the next story is shorter. There's no other reason. I feel terrible now. I keep bumping disabled workers' rights off of the agenda. Um, but saying that, I'd happily take an interview with anyone from TUC on this issue, from anyone from uh, disability rights activists like Deepak and, and those those folks. So um, do that. But anyway, we'll try and cover that next week. Uh, if we don't have a, uh, if we don't have a interview next week. Also coming up, this isn't for a while now. This won't be till May, but uh, I may have the opportunity to speak to some American comrades. I hope, um, not least the Starbucks workers, United Union, and such like, because uh, all the rage, at least two of our contingent looks like we may be taking a trip to Seattle so uh, and Portland. So I'd love to speak to some trade unionists in and around that area during during that break. Uh, as I say, more details on that. Uh, hit us up on the socials if you want to know anything more about that. Um, uh, maybe tweet us at All the Rage, which is at ATR Tracks FM. That's A-T-R-T, that's capital. And then R-A-X is smaller than F-M is capital, if you want to hit us up on that. Can't get us on the tra uh, Tracks FM Twitter page for some reason. I uh, don't know why that is. But also, you can um, you can get hold of us on 
all the rage is on Facebook too. There's a Facebook page for us, uh, which I should know and I can't remember. Maybe Dave could do that for me while I'm reading this article. And also, uh, in regards to some of what I said earlier, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna email while I speak now, just before I go on. And just in closing on the story on knowing your rights of protest, and we got some links about a little bit of detail about IMSIs, um, how to create your own Faraday cage, and a link to Signal, which I'm just going to send to Dave now, and we'll put those in the show notes. So then you uh, you can check all of that out if you need to. Okay, so I've talked while I'm cutting and pasting. Absolutely seamless. Nobody knows that, that, that I'm actually just wasting time now while I click send. Okay, I've clicked send. Now, last story I really want to cover this week is uh, live music yet again. Something to do with live music. Uh, one of those things I could go on about for ages. Suing the artist. So, thanks to an article from the BBC Culture page, uh, which caught my attention this week. As you know, I'm not a fan of the ticketing process presently being used by many companies. Uh, the bigger they are, the worse they tend to be. And uh, an, an interesting case has come up, which is not directly so much related to them, but maybe, which I'll, I'll talk about in the details of this case. Shout out to the writer Brittany McKenna. Uh, this article was published on the 23rd of the 1st, 2024. So thank you. Uh, two fans, Michael Fellows and Jonathan Haddon, are suing Madonna for starting a gig in Brooklyn more than two hours late. According to the suit, the plaintiffs alleged the delay, quote, left them stranded in the middle of the night, end quote, where they encountered, quote, limited public transportation, limited ride sharing, and or increased public and private transportation costs, end quote. The Barclays Centre, which is the venue it took place, and Live Nation, the ticketing company that handled the tickets, are also named in this suit. The article details that the lawsuit against Madonna may well be the first of its kind. Entertainment lawyer Michael Ransom told the BBC Culture that, quote, this suit stands out from similar actions taken by fans in the past as the plaintiffs and their legal team threw everyone into the pot to see who these claims might stick against, end of quote. Ransom explains that having more than one defendant, in this case, the artist, the ticketing service, the venue and the promoter, is not uncommon as if one is dropped from the case some way or another, you can still blame somebody else, meaning the court would decide who is ultimately responsible, in this case, for letting people know the concert would start late. Uh, Ransom also makes some interesting notes here. That this lawsuit differs from other similar suits in its allegations of fraud and deceptive advertising as opposed to straight breach of contract. A portion of the suit reads, defendants' actions constitute not just a breach of their contracts, but also a wanton exercise in false advertising, negligent misrepresentation and unfair and deceptive trade practices. So it sounds to me from the way this is written that this is a test case. Uh, regarding what will stick in such a case going forward. Another interesting quote from Michael Ransom. I suspect that if there's enough people out there that are willing to put their names on this thing, then they'll be able to satisfy those requirements. Then the question becomes for the defendants whether or not this claim, this case in general, is something that they want to spend time and money fighting or whether they just want to basically make it go away as quickly as possible uh, whether by refunding people their ticket prices or something like that before it really gains steam and gets off the ground, end of quote. So, will we see the whole ticketing system up for question here or will they pay it off to shut all of this up quicker? It does seem that there is concern within the industry about where the fan-artist relationship may go in the future as tickets become even more expensive and the, the quality 
tends to get a lot lower. The artist naturally relies on us, their fans, in order to make their gigs and other musical activities successful. If this is threatened by continual dissatisfaction and more entities taking a piece while providing nothing artistic, then we could see uh, a drastic change in this relationship going forward. But this is not just about suing one artist for being a dick. This case brings in the whole of the ticketing industry. We might see a reasonable time period imposed for an artist to be late, say 15 minutes like they do on the trains before you are entitled to a refund, or at least as they do on the trains in this country anyway. Or we could finally see the dream of so many record companies that you could take action against all artists for not paying the set list that you wanted to hear. Well, we'll only find out what the result on this uh, with the result of this case. So this is something we'll be trying to stay tuned into because I'm, I'm very interested in this. For me, uh, the much wider issues, and I do not know if this case speaks to this, is the emergence of huge corporations running the ticketing who charge you higher and higher fees for a ticket at worse venues that demand that you they can fill you up on the door, tell you what size bag you are allowed to have, and tell you how you will receive your tickets. They tell you. Uh, they say, tell you uh, no matter how hot the day is, you cannot bring your own drinks or food, then charge you hideous amounts of money for drinks and food that I wouldn't touch with a barge pole. These people make work for what is supposed to be pleasure, and they are purely parasitic. They have literally embarked upon a mission to remove joy from life, all at an increased profit just for them. A ticket is a contract that works both ways, and we the people need to get better value for our end. So yeah, I mean, Dave, you're you're a, a gig not as much as I still do, I suppose, but you you've been inside a gig or two, and you've certainly spoken of some interesting well, experiences the, over the, the liberty years. Of having a, a, Norman, if nothing else, a conversation with Julie on on Facebook, and uh, we spoke, and you both rang me. Uh, where can we go to a traditional sort of chutney soaker? And mm. you'd only London is in a London, and for for different types of gigs and. You know, whatever music, London is overrated. There's nothing there um, in a London. It's just your Witherspoons or your, 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 your whatever. I think Trinity Bar is, is as good as it gets where I live. Um, but other than that, you can't really get, you, you know, when you start going outside of London or the outskirts of London, then you get your reggae, your soul, your chutney, your soca. Um, and you get really good themed nights in some venues, John. Inner London is overrated, overpriced, and it, uh, I, 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 it's, there's nothing there for no one. And, and you, what you said mm. about the food and the, the security and all that is spot on. It is spot on. I used to go to venues in London, and I could say, oh, let's go there. There's an 80 soul night. Oh, there's a, I think they do jazz cafe. That, that's about it for me. Um I don't even go there anymore. I was offered to DJ there many years ago because Mean Fiddler owned it. And uh, I just, by that time, I'd lost taste of the music scene at that time because it came very corporate. corporate. Um, but you're right, John. It, it, you know, it, you know, and I think, I think um, as it may be as bad as it gets, and I think what well, if what we all got to do is say, well, what we're going to do is go to a pub and say, look, we want this venue for a Sunday. What's your shittest night? And you say, well, they say whatever night, and then ask them and say, well, can we do a night here of something? And then use the internet and that, because as it is, left to their own devices to give what the public wants. Um, even if you have a good night for just reggae, you know, 
you won't get a hundred people in there, but there's still a hundred people more than you would have got. Um, you get a good crowd, you get less security needed for it uh, because they're of a certain age group. Because that security always told me if you're over 30, we we have a quiet night. Um, you know, um, or even live bands or things like that. that. They make such a big thing out of it in London, John. It's just a joke and it's just overpriced and overrated. And by the time you get in the venue, you just, oh God, you know, it's kind of worn out, you know, John. And they're making they're making work too, right? This is it's a, this is one of the things that I I mean this was a true tragedy. So people died at that event at the Brixton Academy, but it always it wound me up a lot too because the Brixton Academy used to, has a ridiculous level of security. You get felt up like three times. I'm not I'm not exaggerating, folks. Never been there. You have to show your ticket to more people than you can manage. And I remember one night um, going in there. I made a complaint to the police about this because I got pulled up when I was outside. The venue police asked me where I got my ticket. And now, when you walk down from the station to the Brixton Academy, there was like seven or eight people offering you tickets. And I said, we want to know where the dodgy tickets are. Why don't you go around the corner and nick them? Why are you talking to me? And this slimy pig fuck came up and started trying to get Larry with me and all this while the officers was like, yeah, I just, the officers were doing the kind of straight-eyed questions and he was doing this. I was like, yeah, I know these games, Sunshine. Okay? I've interacted with your kind before. You, know, you don't scare me. And, you know, they were questioning this. And unfortunately, I always used to take my receipt with me anyway, so I just flashed that out. And then they go, like, have you got any idea? I said, no, I've got any fucking idea because I don't need to show you ID. I'm going to a gig. And you had all of this kind of, as I say, you had to show you for a pat down, show your bag, show your ticket, at least four places going into the Brixton Academy. And then you had a massive rush of people come in and somebody, you know, died because there was a crush. By the way, on the same night, we went through this ridiculous level of, of security, you know, trying to fight back against crime. My ne- my cousin got his phone lifted out of his pocket again. So, you know, it didn't really work out too well, did it? Uh, anyway. All right, so, I remember 1986, you know, I went to a concert there. Public Enemy, LL Cool J and Run the MC, right? Oh, you were at that one. Yeah, no no security, minimal security. Um, people were just walking in, no issue of crushes and things like that. And I think the statistics were very minimal arrests on the day, and that was, I think it was drug dealing. Um, we just, it was just cork, mate. It was proper, proper cork. I think Beastie Boys was on it as well. Um, yeah, that was that was that tour. It was the Def Jam tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 people, there was no issue of crowd. I think I think London make a big thing out of nothing, personally. But you know, I'm not saying we're being naive. I'm just saying I went to a venue where you would say it's the most anti-establishment groups playing of all time, with the most type of people that the police were scared of at that time. Bear in mind that the black community couldn't go into a venues where white DJs were playing black music and they couldn't go and hear their own music because that's how it was then. Uh, they'd just say yeah. to us, it's not your night, son, on the door. This is what they used to say to us, John. When we tried to get in yeah. venues, they said, it's not your night, son. You know, th- imagine if you were white and you were told that. It'd be a riot. <laughs> um, well, I, mean, I was going to say, that might have happened if you got to see Ice Cube in the early <laughs> 90s. There's a few people who told you, what are you doing here, white boy? <laughs> but that was, a, that was a different thing. It's a funny time for, for Mr. Cube. Um, yeah, that was that was around the predator lethal injection sort of. Era. Yeah, that's when. I think there was a battle with with Ice Cube and Public Enemy at that time, wasn't it? Yeah. The security stuff. is one example. The point is, it's it's all of this make work. These people are parasitic. Yeah, that, yeah that's one yeah. example. Then there is the you know, these ticketing companies. You know, they they 
reduce the amount of work that they do, i.e. printing tickets. Now, you know, as well as I know, we're trade unionists. That means reducing the amount of people you employ. And then you charge us more money, you know, for your end. And you won't even send me a ticket in the in the format that I want. Well, no, it's unacceptable. So, I, okay, firstly, send me a physical ticket. That's all I want. Secondly, I tell you what, I'll compromise. And if you email me the PDF, I'll print it myself, which most ticketing companies do. But I don't have a smartphone. And I don't need to go through this pantomime every time I want to go to a gig of me paying out extortionate amounts of money into your pocket and then going, oh, well, you know, you have to have the tickets this way. You can't not have the tickets this way. Yes, I fucking can have the tickets any way I want to. And you know it because you made a contract with me and you have to provide it. So don't play games. And that's yeah, that's one of the ones that bothers me because it's an attack on consumer rights. I think it's an attack on freedom to a degree. What have I just said about phones all night long? About, you know, just they just want you to put more and more and more of your information into these things to the point where it's not a choice. You're not doing this out of choice. You're doing it because things won't function if you don't do it. So again, when was that put to the people? When were we asked? When were we asked to vote on whether or not we want everything held on an electronic device? Whether we even want to buy one of those electronic devices, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there, there is a process we're, we're transferring tickets. I must say that. I must speak as I find. Um, finding the the access to the transfer process where I can buy tickets for someone and then send them to them, there, as long as they've got the phone, uh, that takes ages to find. Once you do that process, it's actually quite easy. But yeah, you just have these, oh, just these increasingly kind of antiseptic uh, horrible venues with shit sound like the O2 where the security just makes you feel uncomfortable because they're everywhere and they just want all this ridiculous I went into the you know what I was me me and my partner had a walk as we always do on New Year's Day and we started in North Greenwich and, and walked around a whole area there so we went to the and I was about to go into the O2 and uh, which is the shopping centre and there's like a metal detector and a guy on the door. I need to check your bag. So I just want to go to the toilet. I don't want anything. I used to have to do your bag. Okay, fine. And I just didn't bother. I can't, I can't piss up the wall around the corner, which I did. Um, you know, you. This is, this is what it does. You're not checking my bag when I need to urinate. Okay, you just, you just let these people get utterly out of their place and start taking on power that they should never have and that's that's another one of the upshots it doesn't sound like it on the surface but it is it's about giving power to again more power to corporations who owns the o2 who who employs these people who gives them powers as we just as we discussed in last week's show it is possible for or has happened for security private security companies to decide to make up their own laws about how you can protest and not even run it by the management in this case UCL not even run it by the management of the university to say no we've decided what's acceptable to to protest on this and then call the police and the police come up and they go okay what's going on here they're protesting and they're using these uh, you know they're using whistles or they're waving signs yeah they have a right to do that in law oh okay who told you you didn't have the right to do that? That security guard over there said that his company, basically his company, have made up rules. If you don't nip something like this in the bud, this is the place where it goes. Okay, so so that that is relevant. That is very important. It's not just me ranting about things I don't like, although it is that too. But yeah, uh, so it it is. This is the issue here. Again, it's an issue of power, and it's an issue, as I say, taking the joy out of everything. You're not actually you're there to enjoy yourself. You're not there to be suspect you're not there to follow a set of protocols and you certainly shouldn't be there to buy extortionately expensive drinks 
And I'm talking now, I'm not even talking alcohol because I'm a soft drink drinker. Okay. You'll charge me five quid, seven quid, etc., for a couple of glasses of cranberry juice. No, no. And making me empty a water bottle on the way in. No, it's my water, it's my bottle. And that thing where they were, oh, if you've got any food in your bag, you have to put it here. Never there when you come back, though, is it? I wonder who's eating that. So is that is that really how badly paid the security staff are? Uh, you basically have to nick my crunchy bars that I hand out to homeless people, which are always in my bag. It's interesting because I, I think the venues in London um, are playing catch-up because of COVID, uh, the pandemic. Well, I think they're deliberately yeah. double-charging. But it's interesting that, the, you know, all this other... Um, you know, COVID gear, protective gear, was obviously people made millions from it and sold it. And, good, ex- good example. And, yeah, and, and and they were able to get away with it. But we're we're walking into a normal venue, and they literally strip your dignity before you get in, uh, based on 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 playing catch up for costs on COVID. You know, and yeah, you know, and and just on the nine eleven thing because I, I my, a lot of my friends are Muslim. And I, we are we are a nine eleven podcast now. Go yeah, on. <laughs> um, I will say this: that, that a lot of the people that I speak to um, say, look, they didn't need to do all this um, to stop these idiots because they call these people idiots who did these atrocious attacks. Uh, what they should have done is give them to us, and we would have beat them, and they would never have done it again. And that was the majority of Muslims that I know who I grew up with, because they they effed it up for everyone. But they said they shouldn't impose these things that the security different invade countries and do this stuff at airports and pat you down and treat you like some sort of idiot because you want to get on a plane because of these idiots. What they should have done is give them to us. We would have beat them. And they would never have done it again. Um, and that's from the majority of Muslims that I know, and I know a lot. So don't think it's all Muslims because we are, or they are, or whatever, were totally against those acts and they, I think if we just handed them to it, I guarantee those boyos wouldn't have done it again. But there you go. Uh, John, um, anything um, you need to give a shout-out before we go? Um, I don't think so, other than... I've only just opened... This is part of something I was, I've, I've supported, but I've only just opened this story. I've not read it. But the International Railway Journal um, is reporting that Alstom orders up to 6% in... Uh, quarter number three of 23-24 as Derby prepares for job cuts. This is basically about them messing with Derby's railway system. Uh, Support the union, support the workers in any way that we can to reverse any of these cuts and solidarity to the folks out there. Again, uh, if you ever want to come on the show, give a little bit more detail about it, you're very welcome. Um, Other than that, shout out to uh, your audience who are no doubt patiently waiting for me to stop blathering on so they can listen to some music. And uh hope you enjoy it. You've played I've been keeping to ask you, you've been played some some interesting stuff that sounded pretty sort of old school, like underground hip hop last couple of weeks. And um and I've been messing around on the internet archive looking up old rap shows, particularly Stretch and Bobita, which is uh kind of interesting. Um uh, I mean, you know, lots of stupid, immature jokes, but other than that, their 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 music is sound. And, uh, yeah, uh, but other than that, no major shout-outs. Unless you've got anything else you want to go on. No, I was going to say... Uh, our, our general shout-outs to all trade unionists and, and, and comrades and and uh, and working-class folks fighting the good fight. You've never needed the trade union more than you need them today, folks. Uh, we're not just saying it. Um, I promise you, from what I witnessed this week, you've never needed them more. Oh, a stretch and babito, John. What a revelation. 
Um, mm, I, I went. Think, to, I, I will talk to you about that at a later date. Now is probably not the time. But I was just interested in a little bit of their of their history, actually, from from what I was listening to this week. I was listening to a show from way back, like late nineties. Oh, and yeah. I was just going to have a chat with you, have a chinwag with you about that one. One time when I phone you not to talk about work, you know that would that would be better. We'll just have a chat about. I that think I think they've got syndicated shows, but they're very well uh, attended. I think, um, yeah. yeah, I just think they're brilliant. I think they're outstanding. Um, anyway, they're very break dance, very old breaker. Um, um, who's that? Hey, you, but Rocksteady crew, that sort of hip hop, Latin rascals, that sort of thing. Um, and it was very sectionalised, a little bit like the Bangra scene, you know, where it was a mix of um, of ethnic and hip hop. I think Stretch and Bibita do that fantastically well with um, Latino music. Uh, I just think they're brilliant. Anyway, John, listen, thank you so much. Um, and that yeah, everyone thank out you, there, mate. thank you. We were a bit late. Uh, there's a lot happening this week, but we're we're on track. Johnny, thank you very we're gonna much. See, we're going to see if we can do the full hour one time. We're an entire hour late. We'll get there one day. We've done half hour now, so we're getting there. We're doing well. All the Rage with John Bowd. <laughs> on www.tracksfm.org.